Well, I've had a good morning, I hope, so far, honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, just a quick word about this whole uh, shutdown thing. You know, some of you expressed some concern of this meeting, and uh, we just don't believe um, that the government has the authority to shut down churches. So we're going to continue to meet, and if you don't feel comfortable coming out, that's fine. You can stay home and watch the live stream or continuing that or wear a mask, whatever you want to do. But um, we've been dealing with this all year, and a lot of facts have come out that kind of really show that some of these things are more political than anything else. And so we're just thankful that you're here, thankful that you're willing to come out and fellowship. And it's so, so important as a church that we maintain that um, fellowship and time together. Well, we've, we're going to finish off our series, our Christmas series, called Contemplating Christmas. We've been in this for five messages, or four messages. This would be the fifth message. And um, today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. So you can turn over there in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. And we'll be looking at a couple verses in there. <clears throat> I always love uh, the story of the little boy who was trying to figure out how to write a letter to Santa this year. Because it seemed in years past, it never worked out. You know, he wrote this letter, and he never got what he wanted. So he decided this year, he sat down, he got his pad and his pen, he sat down at the kitchen table, he said, you know what, I'm going right to the top. I'm bypassing Santa, and I'm going right to God. I'm going to write a letter to God and tell him what I want for Christmas. So he sat down and he began to ponder how to write this letter and he started off, Dear God, I have been a very good boy this past year. And then he paused and he thought for a minute and he said, I know God is all-knowing. They taught us that in Sunday school, so I'm probably not going to get what I want if I start off a letter to God lying. So he crumbled that up and threw it in the trash and sat back down. Dear God, I really tried hard this past year to do everything right. And he paused and he thought, that's not right either. In frustration, he crumbled that one up and threw it in the trash. And he's sitting there contemplating, how can I write a letter to God and get what I want for Christmas? So what he did was sitting there thinking, and out of the corner of his eye over by the tree, he noticed that mom had set up the nativity set. So he got an idea. So he ran to his room, ran down the hallway to his room. He got a shoebox. And he got a soft cloth, like a washcloth. He went back out to the living room and he knelt down to the nativity scene and he took Mary, the figure of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he wrapped her carefully in this cloth. And he, he put her in the shoebox. And he ran back to his room he hid it in the closet. He went back out to the kitchen table. Fresh pad of paper in front of him, his pen. He said, Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> now, that's a funny story. But you know what? I think sometimes we can feel like the world has taken Christmas hostage, Right? They've taken it hostage, and they don't even know what they have, to be honest with you. They don't even know. And um, we've been in this series for four messages now. The first week, we, we talked about dealing with our doubts, talking about the Christmas story and how there's a lot of stuff in there you've got to take by faith. Secondly, on a Wednesday night, we, we talked about bringing back the wonder to Christmas. It seems like it's become so materialistic and so worldly driven there's no wonder anymore and then the third message was christmas is needed and we went all the way back to the book of genesis genesis chapter three and we realized wow we do need jesus we do need a savior because of our sin and then last week we finished off message four and we talked about jesus is coming or christmas is coming well, today we're going to be looking at, you have the outline there hopefully in front of you, Christmas is here or Jesus is here. And 
If you remember when I first started off this series, the one thing I mentioned to you was that I wanted us not to give in to all the feelings and emotions of this holiday this year. I wanted us to focus, to try to focus on the facts, the biblical principles that we can see through the Christmas story. Because you know what? The problem with feelings is they don't satisfy. They don't satisfy. They don't sustain us. They, they can't be sustained. And that's why I think so many people around this time of the year end up depressed. Right? Joyful, joyful. They're not feeling joyful. Um, a lot of people deal with struggles this time of year. Um, the only time some of you are happy is when all your relatives leave. <laughs> but because we focus so much on emotion in our society, sometimes we can give us the wrong picture. We've been so high on feeling, our feelings, that in the end of the year, kind of being bummed out. You realize that Christmas came and it went, and you don't feel like nothing. You just zeroed. And people chase that feeling. But we said we were going to chase the facts of Christmas. And so we wanted to review the facts of Christmas as revealed to us in God's inspired word. And so that's what we've been doing for the past four messages. Because, you know what, an emotion can't sustain you. An emotion um, won't satisfy you. But truth can. Truth can. And so we're a church that believes in teaching God's word verse by verse each week in some form or fashion and trying to apply to you uh, the truths of the Bible. So, and that's what we're going to do today. Is you turn over in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And this is a really neat Christmas passage. And you say, wait a minute, I've read through the book of Galatians. I never saw a nativity scene or shepherds or anything like that in Galatians. What are you talking about? What kind of Bible school do you go to anyway? Um, there's no star in Galatians. There's none of that stuff. But there is the Christmas story. And look at verses 4 and 5. And I just ask you, I'm sitting a little bit, so stand in honor of God's word as we read these two verses. And we'll pray and then we'll get into our message. Galatians chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come... God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that you have given us our own personal copy of it to study and to, to hide in our hearts. And Lord, we pray tonight that you would enable us to see the, to, this morning to see the truth and apply it to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I just want to share with you three important Christmas facts or Christmas truths about the very first Christmas. And uh, I think if we review these with faith, again, our hearts will experience what Christmas is all about. Because it's not just about today, right? It's not about this week when you gather on the 25th around the Christmas tree. That's really not what we're celebrating. It's all year long we should be celebrating our faith. Um, so the very first thing I want you to see there in the outline, the very first thing about the very first Christmas, on the very first Christmas, Jesus was perfectly timed. Perfectly timed. Look at what it says in verse 4. It says, but when the fullness of what time had come, when the fullness of time had come, that phrase, the fullness of time, literally means the pre-appointed or the predetermined time. So you can literally read that verse, but when the predetermined or the pre-appointed time that God had chosen had come, God sent forth his son. I mean, have you ever wondered why Jesus was born on the day that he was born? Did you ever wonder that? I mean, why wasn't he born in the days of Ezekiel? <laughs> why wasn't he born in the days of Moses? Why wasn't he born when they were wandering out there all over the desert, right? Why wasn't he born in David's day or Daniel's day? 
Why was Jesus born on the day that he was born? Well, Paul is telling us right here in the text, it's because this is the exact, this is the precise moment. God had the day that Jesus would be born down to the second on the clock, to the day on the calendar. Jesus wasn't finally sent down from heaven because God looked down and everybody messed up and somehow his plans were now in trouble, so he had to come up with a a second plan. (laughs) That's not what happened. Like nothing else worked. Okay, Jesus, I'll let you go down there and straighten out this mess. Jesus was precisely at the right day, at the right moment, at the right minute, sent. Because all the preparation for the first Christmas, everything that was to be done was done. Not because other plans were ruined, but because of all the preparations that God had completed in the fullness of time, the appointed time, the idea of this, the fullness of time, ladies, you'll appreciate this. It's, it's the idea of when a woman is pregnant and she finally gives birth. Those of you who have children, you know. You know after nine months, you're like, okay, let's get this thing over with, right? Come out of there, right? I mean, you want your, you want your body back. And you're excited to be pregnant, but it's, you know, you're carrying around. And you just want it to be over. So you can start with your new baby. That's the idea. When the fullness of time, fullness refers to when it is the time of completion, the appointed time, the pre-appointed time, the predetermined time. When everything that needed to be done was done, that's when Jesus came. When everything that was needed to be said and written by God was done, that's when he came. God says, now, this is the day my son will enter your earth. It's almost, I picture God up in heaven before this time, holding back all the angels. No, not yet, not yet. Wait, 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 not yet. And then at the exact moment, the right moment, he says, okay, go. And all of heaven got involved in the very first Christmas pageant. That's the idea that Paul is trying to help us to understand here in Galatians. That Jesus was perfectly timed down to the second on the clock. And down to the day on the calendar. Now, I understand. We don't celebrate just a day. A lot of people say, well, I don't celebrate Christmas because it wasn't on the 25th anyway, so I don't even celebrate it. It was probably more likely in the spring that Jesus was born, historians tell us. It wasn't on December 25th. We know that. But hello, it's not about the day. What we're saying is, whatever day it was, I'm telling you, God's timing was perfect. It was the exact day that God had chosen. And you say, well, what's what's the big deal about this? Well, for those of us who love Christ, for those of us who follow Christ, when we read that This we should rejoice in our hearts. Because we have a God who's sovereign. Who's overseeing this. Who arranged all of history. Who prepared all of humanity for this very moment. God promised that he would send Jesus all the way back in the garden. We saw that the first week. And 4,000 years later, what did he do? He sent him to Bethlehem. 4,000 years. That's, that's a long wait. But we have a God who down to the very minute, he prearranged, he ordered all of history, prepared all of humanity for this very moment. Well, what's that mean to us? It means to us that God knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly what you're going through. And guess what? He cares. He cares. He's not some distant God that's off in the universe somewhere. 
He cares. He knows what you need. And his promise to us is that he'll come through just at the right time. Have you ever noticed that God is rarely early when you're waiting for God to do something? Usually it's not early. But I'm here to tell you, guess what? He's never late. He's never late. Never. We have a God who is right on time. But see, here's the thing. While he knows what you need, some of you may be hurting. Some of you may be going through just a horrific time in your life right now. I don't know. I can't see what's going on in your your heart. But God does. Some of you may have huge needs. And I guess what I'm telling you is this, is he's not going to be rushed (laughs) by your fear. He's not going to be rushed by your panic. He's not going to be rushed by your impatience. He's not even going to be rushed by your doubts. But let me tell you this. He will not be delayed by your enemies. He will not be delayed by your lack of faith. He won't be delayed by your difficult circumstances. See, he will not be rushed, but you know what? He will not be delayed. He cannot be delayed. He's a sovereign God. And that's what this phrase, in the fullness of time, means. That God is sovereign over everything, over history, over humanity, over elections. Hello? And nothing, nothing can stop what he has already planned. Nothing and sometimes people say, well, we have all these choices. You know, we can, we can make choices. What about all these choices we make? God has prearranged everything. It seems like if I make certain choices, I can change things. Have you ever been on a cruise? Yeah, some of you have been. My wife and I were blessed to go on a cruise. And it's, it's amazing. I mean, you're on this huge like, boat. It's a ship. It's amazing. And there's a ton of things to do on a cruise. People don't realize. A ton of things. Even when you're out to sea, there's a lot of things to do. I mean, you can eat. You can eat. <laughs> and you eat a little bit more. Maybe you get a little snack, and you eat some more. <laughs> but there is. There's a lot of things to do. There's a lot of decisions to make. You can play, go in the pool, go to the shuffleboard, do, do all kinds of things. And then go eat some more. But here's the thing. Whatever you do on your cruise, when you're on that ship, whatever you do, whatever decision you make, watch a movie, eat the whole buffet, whatever, whatever you want to do, guess what? It doesn't direct. It doesn't stop the direction of the ship. You're making all those decisions, but guess what? That ship's going where it's going. Your decisions don't play into it. Guess what? That's your life. That's your life. I'm telling you that you cannot stop what God has already predetermined and sovereignly chosen to happen. He's God. See, that's our God. He's he's the captain of what happens. I mean, isn't that an amazing truth? That should help us sleep at night. And that's what Paul is saying to believers here. He says, you don't have to worry. Our God is over history, over humanity. It cannot be stopped. He cannot be stopped in the fullness of time at that exact precise moment. The Bible says God sent forth his son into the world. When do you need a miracle? When do you need a miracle? Most of us would answer that question, well, I need a miracle when all my resources are gone. (laughs) Right? Isn't that when you need a miracle? When all the options are played out. When all hope is lost, that's when we need a miracle. 
It's, see, it's, it's only then that we can receive and that we can recognize the miraculous from God in our lives. See, many of us want that miracle before our options run out. Before our resources are gone. We want the miracle before all hope is lost. We don't want to wait. We're impatient. And what God is telling us is saying, he's saying, listen, you won't even receive it, nor will you recognize the miracle if I give it to you at the wrong time. Everything, everything about Jesus is a well-timed miracle. Everything. Think about it from the time he was born, why he was born, what he did after he was born, how he came, why he died, when he died, where he died, what the results of his death were. You can go on and on and on. Everything about Jesus Christ is a well-timed miracle. See, we learned when we understood Christmas was needed, when Jesus was needed back in Genesis chapter 3, that we were out of resources. We were out of options. We were out of hope. All hope was lost. And now God says, now, now is the time. Now is the time for the miracle to happen. Here's what's incredible. At just the right time, Listen, at just the right time, Jesus entered into time to rescue us from time. Do you ever think of that? At just the right time, Jesus, an eternal being, he entered into time. Why? To rescue us from time. You say, well, what do you mean? Yeah, do you ever hear, do you ever use this phrase, you know, I'm just going to kill some time. You know, it, just, it means you're just going to relax. Right? I'm going to kill some time. Guess what? You, you don't kill time. You may think you're killing time, but guess what? Time is killing you. That's the fact. Why? Because we weren't created for time. We were created for eternity. That's why God created us. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has put eternity in the human heart. Ecclesiastes 3.11 You weren't created for time. You were created for eternity. Back to Genesis 3. Here's the problem. (laughs) Adam and Eve, what'd they do? They sinned in the garden, right? They blew it. What's the first thing that God did? The very first thing that God did, he banned them from where? From the garden. So that seems kind of cruel. He banned them from the garden because they had sinned. Well, why did he kick them out of the garden? A lot of people think, well, because they ruined everything and he just didn't want to take care of them anymore. No, that wasn't the case at all. He took care of them, but they couldn't stay in the garden because there was one tree in the garden that he said, I got to keep you from eating this. I got to keep you away from this tree. What tree was it? You remember? The tree of, tree of life. The tree of life. See, if they would have eaten from the tree of life after sinning, they would have lived forever in their sin. And God says, you know what? I'm not going for that. That's not going to happen on my watch. So I'm going to protect you. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to end this eternal thing right now. You were created for eternity, but you know what? Game change. It's off now. Adam and Eve weren't created for time. They weren't created to die. Remember, everything was good. Death wasn't even known to them. They weren't created to die. They were, they were timeless beings. They were created for eternity. But God says, I'm going to... Basically, to take you away from eternity, I'm going to keep you out of the garden. But I still have a plan. I still have a plan. I'm not just kicking you out and saying, hey, I don't want anything to do with you. I have a plan for you. 
And my plan is simply, I want to give to you what I created you for. That's what God wants to do. I've got a plan to get you back in the garden. But I've got to take care of the sin issue first, right? That's what salvation is, right? That's the essence of salvation. It's God restoring you and me to what? To eternal life. What we were created for. So Jesus comes into time at just the right time to rescue you and I from time. Remember what Jesus promised in John 4 or John 5:24, John 5:24 says truly truly I say to you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has what? Eternal life. Eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has passed from death to life. What is that? What is eternal life? Eternal life is life outside of time. We won't be looking at our watches in heaven. (laughs) He's saying, I'm going to give you life with me for all eternity. I want to take you to a world outside of time. I'm going to rescue you from time. I mean, isn't that amazing? I have a visual here, and I, we'll see how this goes. I don't know. Uh, who are the guys here, Ken? We got a little illustration. Somebody can run this to the back. All the way down the aisle. Hillary, you can stand there. Here, Kenny. Just keep going. All the way to the back. Yeah, just hold it up. It's easy. Keep on walking. Keep on walking. You stand over there in that corner. Keep on going all the way to the back door. All the way. See if we run out. Go that way, Kenny. Not too fast. My fingers are burning here. (laughs) Here, we'll do it this way. (laughs) Okay. Keep on going. Shelly, if you can hold that for him. All the way back to the back. Terry, come on up and grab that thing from Ken. It's just a little illustration to help you understand the concept of all eternity. Now hold them up. Hold it up nice and high. What I do with my head, here it is. Don't drop it because you'll ruin Christmas if you do. You don't have to hold it tight. Come on, this is like a... (laughs) Now, I want this yellow line, this fluorescent yellow line, to represent all of eternity. All of eternity, okay? I'm going to take this marker right here in the middle. Put a little mark right there. You see that? Of course you can't. That's my point. This is all eternity, right? This little mark, guess what it represents? Not your life doesn't represent your life. It represents all of humanity. I'm going to put another little mark on top of that little mark. Perfect. See that? No. That represents your life. All of eternity, here's your life. Get the picture? I'm going to retire. I'm working so hard. You can drop that string. I'm working so hard for retirement. Seriously? That's all you got? A little dot? A little speck? See, we need to rethink our lives. You can just leave it on the floor, guys. That's fine. We need to rethink our lives. I mean, I run into... A lot of times police officers or people that work for the county, 30, 35 years, got to retire. Man, once I retire, everything's going into retirement. And they retire. Some of them, unfortunately, three months, they're dead. And they invested all their desires in their retirement. 
we need to be reminded that God says, you know what, don't set your mind on things on the earth. It's just a speck. It's a vapor, James says, right? It's here and it's gone. If we're going to invest, let's invest in something that's worth investing in. All eternity. With our time, our talent, and our treasure. What Jesus did is when he came at that precise moment from heaven, he came to rescue us from that little black dot in all of eternity. See, we're living, most of us, for that little black dot. That's what we're living for. And we're ignoring all the rest. That's, that's not how we're to live. What Jesus did is he entered time from eternity. He came into time from heaven to rescue us from that little black dot. <laughs> That little speck. And to give us all the rest. See, what we're celebrating today is not, wow, Jesus came to give me my, my, my best life now, my great life now. No. But you know what I'm saying? I got a great job. I got a great family. The good news for some of you is maybe your life isn't that great. Guess what? It's not going to last that long. (laughs) It's not going to last that long. If it's great, guess what? It's not going to last that long. If it's not great, it's not going to last long. He came to give us all of eternity. So I hope that we can remember today in the fullness of time, Jesus came at just the right time. His birth was perfectly timed. That's how God works. Well, the second thing there in your outline, quickly, not only is Jesus perfectly timed, but that first Christmas he was divinely sent. It says there in this next part of that verse is God sent forth, what? His son. He sent forth. Now, sometimes Kenneth say, you know, you're always staring at us over here, you know, and it's just... I'm not a real good eye contact person. You probably figure that out by now. But I try, but still. So sometimes I just get into that habit, right? And so a lot of times I'm focusing right over here and he's, you know, and sometimes, you know, if I move over here, they may be saying, you, you go over here and they send me over here, you know, and then you folks get tired of looking at me. So I go back over there. So I just stop moving around and I just stand in the middle now. But if I'm over here and someone sent me over there, what does that mean? That means at one point I was over there. Well, what did God do? It means I I pre-existed in a a previous location. If I'm being sent over there, I'm being sent from somewhere. So when Jesus, when God sent his son, he's saying here that Jesus was sent. It's not that he was just born. I mean, he was born, obviously. But he was more than just born. The Bible says here, Paul says, he was sent. So if he was sent, what does that mean? It means that he pre-existed somewhere else because he's eternal. Jesus is the God-man. He's 100% human, but also 100% God. Now, if you're a mathematician, you're saying that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. I don't understand it either. But it's important that we understand that. It's so important because this part of Christmas is the part that a lot of people miss. They miss it. They're celebrating this little baby in a manger somewhere, not realizing that they're looking into the literal eyes of God. The one who pre-existed, the one who is divine, the one who created everything we see, the one who is eternal. And Paul says that God sent forth the pre-existent, the eternal Son of God. He came out of heaven. But it also says there that he was what? Born of what? A woman. Born of a woman. 
So he's sent forth, that represents his what? Divinity, that he's God. Born of a woman, what does that represent? His humanity. And a little later on there, it says born under the law. What does that represent? It represents his integrity. Because Jesus is the only one who could ever live perfectly and obey all of the law of God. And the only reason he could do that is because he was God. You have to understand, only the sinless one can redeem the sinful ones. It's the only way we get redemption. Only the sinless one could redeem the sinful ones. Only the one who was sinless could do that which we could never do. That's what Paul is trying to drive home to our hearts here. That he was divinely sent. That Jesus is not just a man, he's 100% God as well. Remember we looked at a couple weeks ago, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. When God preached the first gospel. He preached the first gospel there. And he said, and I will put enmity between you and woman and between your seed and her seed, capital S, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I mean, God basically says to Eve there, you know what, you've disobeyed, but one of your descendants, (laughs) through you, Eve, there's going to be a woman who will give birth. And she's not going to be disobedient like you have been. (laughs) You've disobeyed, but one of your descendants, a woman, will have the seed, capital S. Paul says here that God sent forth his son born of a woman. He's trying to help us understand, basically, that the babe born in Bethlehem is one who is promised all the way back in the Garden of Eden. They're the same for the Unto us a child is born, that's his humanity. Unto us a son is given, Isaiah 9 says, that's his divinity. See, if we don't get this, if we don't understand this basic fact of Christmas, we'll never get Christmas. And this is missed over and over and over and over again by many people. I was online this last week looking at different gifts and stuff for the kids. And... Uh, I searched, what's the most expensive Christmas gift? (laughs) And there's a lot of them, trust me. I mean, huge. I think the Taj Mahal was the the most expensive gift ever given. But one of them was the Phoenix 1000. Phoenix 1000. I don't know if you ever looked it up. It's pretty cool. You can look it up. It's a luxury submarine. (laughs) Can you imagine? I mean, this is a gift that somebody gave someone. And you can put that under your tree as well for $78 million. It's pretty cool. Phoenix 1000. See, that might be one of the most expensive gifts anybody ever got. But you know what? It's not one of the most valuable gifts given to someone. It's not even the most amazing gift That's reserved for who? That's reserved for the God-man. That's reserved for Jesus Christ. The one who came out of eternity and into time to rescue us, to take us out of time and back into eternity. That's the greatest gift ever. Would you agree? See, if we're not teaching our kids that, we need to be. Because you know what? The newest iPhone or the latest video game doesn't hold a candle to the gift of that God has given to us through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here's the last thing quickly. On the very first Christmas, Jesus was perfectly timed. He was divinely sent. But he was also purposely born. Purposely born. It says in verse 5, what's the purpose? Jesus was perfectly timed. He was divinely sent because he was sent for the purpose of redeeming us. So that God could adopt us. That's the purpose of Christmas. Redemption is for our adoption. 
Now, to redeem, what's it mean? It means simply to buy back. Some of you, maybe on the East Coast, we had uh, S&H green stamps. And, you know, you'd save all these stupid little stamps up and put them in a book, and they'd be all sticky or whatever. But you'd take them in, and you'd get a prize, you know, after you filled out so many books. You redeemed it. You, you, they bought them back from you. They gave you something for them. Now, what we fail to understand in our modern day is back then, during Paul's writing this, they would perfectly understand this idea of redemption because there was probably, at the time, 65 million slaves. 65 million slaves when Paul wrote this. They would have understood this perfectly. (laughs) Because slaves, what? They had no will of their own. They had a master who told them what to do. And to get out of slavery, what happened? They had to be redeemed. Someone had to buy them, purchase them from the slave market. Off the slave market. And that's what Jesus Christ did. That's what the Savior of the world did. That's what Paul is saying. He came to redeem, to buy, to purchase us from the slave market of sin. John 8, verse 34, Jesus said this. Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. That's Jesus' own words. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save who? To save sinners. See, Jesus said basically every single one of us, because we were born into this world, because of our experiences, because of our choices, we are slaves to sin. And if we are left on our own accord... That's exactly where we will stay. We will die in our sin. And he says, you know what? I'm sending my son to redeem you. Do you realize that that Jesus' birth wasn't just perfectly timed, but guess what? His death was perfectly timed as well. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, at just the right time, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, when we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time. See, Jesus' birth was on time, but guess what? His death was right on time as well. He was crucified on the cross, and the Bible says, all of our sin." that held us as a slave, all of our sin was put on him. And through his birth and through his life and then through his death and then through his resurrection, we can be redeemed. We can be bought back when we place our faith and trust in him as our Lord and Savior. But our redemption isn't just for our own good. Our redemption is for our adoption. That's what the verse says, right? That we might receive, what? The adoption as sons. Some people look at that verse and they say, well, shouldn't it say sons and daughters? Let's get politically correct here. Boy, they've got to bring the Bible up. No, it shouldn't say sons and daughters. It should say sons because that's what it says. It has nothing to do with a specific gender, mind you. It has everything to do with your spiritual status. See, back in that day, you have to understand, only sons could inherit the fortune of the father. Only sons. Only sons could be placed in the will. It wasn't about your sexual identity. It was about your status. He was saying that when you come by faith and you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and he forgives you and he redeems you, then you are adopted as what? As sons. You're put in the will. You're born again into the family of God and then you're adopted into the fortune of God. Amen? Wonderful truth. You're born again into God's family. That's what redemption is. But then you were adopted into the fortune of God. 
He says, I'm going to claim you for my very own. Wonderful truth. Paul says in Romans 2 that, I mean, this is amazing, that we actually become co-heirs with who? With Christ. Go figure. I mean, from sinner to saint, but then you're, you're, you're a co-heir with, with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Incredible. The one who did that for us, the one who died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead, now says, you know what? I want to give you everything I have. It's amazing. We don't deserve any of it. It's unbelievable. That very first Christmas, Jesus was perfectly timed. He was divinely sent because he was purposely born to redeem us so that God can adopt us. If you miss that, it's not going to matter whatever else you do for Christmas. Don't miss that because those are the facts of Christmas. And if we review those by faith and we align our hearts and our minds to those truths, we'll really understand what Christmas is about. Close with this illustration. You know, a lot of us may or may not know that in South Africa, what do they mine? Diamonds, right? I mean, incredible diamonds in South Africa. And several years ago, I was reading this story, several years ago, there was a man who had kind of a, a small company, mining company. It wasn't a big, big outfit at all, but he, his, he found a huge diamond in South Africa. And he was contracted through another company out of London. And they found a diamond that was the size of a lemon. Huge diamond. And the contractor said, yeah, we want it. But you have to get it to us. <laughs> Safely. From South Africa to London. So he hired a company. They made this big kind of case vault looking thing. He hired four security guards to accompany this secured case back to London. Sent it back. And it arrived there and the contract, they were opening the case with the combination that the owner of the company had given him and inside it was a lump of coal the size of a lemon. And he thought, oh, what happened? No way. We were with this case the whole time. And they called the, tried to get a hold of the business guy down in South and they couldn't get a hold of him and they're worried sick. And the story says about two days later, package arrived to the contractor's office in the mail. Just a brown little package sent postal service. And they opened it up. Guess what? There was the diamond. That man knew that, you know what? No one would suspect me sending this expensive, priceless diamond through the general mail in a simple little box. Many people missed it. But you know what? 2,000 years ago, God sent the greatest diamond ever in a regular old package, just like you and I. Looking much like you and I, and same thing happened. Unfortunately, a lot of people miss it. A lot of people miss it. See, Paul is trying to help us to understand here that regular old package was perfectly timed. It was divinely sent because he was purposely born to redeem us from our sins so that God could adopt us into his family. And what that adoption does is this, beloved. It takes us from being really orphans who are condemned with no hope at all to adopted children of the Most High God who have no fear. No fear. A lot of people are fearful this time. Fearful of the election, fearful of this virus. Or fearful. We're not called to be fearful. We're called to live by faith, not by sight. 
That's what we were adopted from. We go from condemned orphans with no hope to adopted children of the Most High God with no fear. That's what Christmas is all about. And that's why we need to gather and celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you bow in a word of prayer and we'll close and sing a song and then we'll have our meeting. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for this series on contemplating Christmas. And Father, today we just acknowledge our need of you and we know that you're here amongst us, you're here with us, and we thank you for the gift of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came from eternity into time to save us from time and to take us back to eternity with him. What a glorious truth that is. And Father, it doesn't happen automatically. We're not on autopilot here. Yeah, you're sovereign. You oversee these things. But Lord, the word of God also teaches that we need to confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to believe in our heart that he is our Savior, that he did do what he claims to have done, lived a perfect life, died for our sin, was raised on the third day. We put our faith and our trust in you as our Redeemer. The Bible says that we will be saved, that we will be transformed, that our sins will be forgiven, that we will be born again. It doesn't happen because we pray a prayer. It doesn't happen because we come to a church or raise a hand. It happens because you cause it to happen. But, Lord, it's in response of us acknowledging you and your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our Savior. The Bible says very clearly that we are called not just to believe the gospel, but we're called to obey the gospel. And the gospel says, no, you, you forget your way. You follow me. That's what the gospel says. That's what Jesus said. And we are willing to do that when we, by faith, put our faith and trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior. He will save us. He will deposit the very Holy Spirit within our own hearts and lives and give us the power to live this Christian life that you've called us to live. Lord, we live in an odd time, very weird year we've been through. But Lord, you have a purpose and you have a plan. Very weird election that we went through. Still don't know the outcome, to be honest. But, Lord, we're trusting in you that your plan will be carried out, whatever it may be, because you know what that plan is, and you're sovereign. And you will care for us. You'll continue to guide us and lead us. Help us not to give in to fear, but allow us to have hope in you. We thank you. We pray today, if there's anyone here who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, that they would cry out to you, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. He will save you from your sin. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.